Welcome to Podcast with Cooper Cherry. Today's guest is John Zichterman. John is a co-host of the Beep Beep Lettuce podcast and has actually joined me. We did a discussion a while back on Machno. So John, uh, thanks so much for taking time out of your Sunday to uh, come back and on the pod and and talk some uh, talk about mids, talk about <laughs> midterms. Of course, <laughs> these heady midterms. Uh, I'm I'm so excited to be back on and uh, to not have to focus in on on one historical figure this time. I think we're gonna have a really fun and and wide ranging conversation. Yeah, should should be fun. We're gonna kind of roll through the um, from the hip and uh, just kind of freestyle this one to some degree, which these are fun to do. I think sometimes without like a clear like super deline- delineated. Um, you know, maybe outline or what have you, but, uh, yeah. Welcome to the cipher, everybody. We're going to be freestyling all day That's for right. you. Hot fire. But, uh, the first thing, first topic I sort of wanted to get into was sort of the, uh, the Amy Klobuchar, I guess, candidacy, if you will, for lack of a better, better <laughs> term. And, um, where I first wanted to start off is getting your thoughts on, like, to me, she feels like the, embodiment of this liberal centrist i mean she's a pretty conservative democrat obviously yeah and you know she's coming out she had co-sponsored a bill with ben sass about offering uh tax advantage savings accounts where you could you know put set aside some money to i guess you know get some continuing education training etc etc and i think this just underscores the kind of like bullshit half measures like chewing around the very like light margins of empire and i don't know it's just it's really frustrating to see this kind of shit in the climate that we're in she definitely is she's like the the pinnacle uh the embodiment of this like liberal capitalist response to any kind of potentially radical political idea which is to say well that's very sweet and that's a very nice idea but i have these more and then i'm holding up finger quotes obviously reasonable half measures that you could have instead like here's what we're proposing here's what i really think would be something we could get past congress and something it's all like this very like carefully delineated real politic uh that just really values form over substance right she's not worried about Uh, The effects her policy is going to have on people in general, poor people, people of color, people who are otherwise restricted from access to educational institutions. She's just interested in kind of like, I don't know, pacifying a voting base or a a set of special interests that is kind of backing her. She's, She's very much the personification of this like... The Democrats have always liked to say that the Republican Party is the one who's a slave to special interests, but... In recent years, the mask has just been slipping and slipping more and more on the different ways that Democrats themselves are kind of being the real gatekeepers to who gets to pierce the veil of special interest politics and who has to just suffer on the side of wanting things that are actually good for people but being told it's not realistic over and over again. Do you you think, though, that to, like, do you think she's right in some degree, though, like from a certain standpoint of just how the our system is built, it's designed to not, you know what I mean? It's designed to moderate things very aggressively. <laughs> like it's yeah, it's, she, it's aggressive I mean, right in its about... moderation in a sense. So, I mean, looking really at the at the sort of 
you know, the Democrats have only having control of the House. They don't have the Senate. So they don't really have the ability to kind of put forth a really, I mean. Well, they don't have the ability to put forth anything like meaningful or potentially revolutionary or potentially even just that like makes a difference in the fabric of American life. But it's not because the Republicans have a stranglehold on things. It's because the Democrats are afraid to engage in any kind of political tactics that will actually break a stranglehold on things, right? We're, we're all kind of saying to the Democrats on the left, I think we're saying to them, uh, look, you have to do better, you have to work a lot harder, and you're going to have to embrace a lot more radical tactics in order to bring about even liberal democratic ideals, right. not to even yeah. get started on leftist revolutionary ideals. And the Democrats are just like that kid who doesn't want to go any deeper in the pool. They're like, I'm scared. You can't make me. I will cry. I will shit in this pool and and bring everything to a halt if I have to. Uh, if it means that you know you don't you don't push me anymore. You don't make me feel any more insecure. And that's almost an unfair analogy to that kid in the pool who is scared of going deeper in the water because the Democrats are even more like spineless and dumb and compromising than that. It's just it's the saddest state of affairs that I can think of. And who would you know, who who comes to mind that could better represent that kind of like. Uh, republicanism in Democrats' clothing, kind of centrist liberalism, better than a Democratic uh, politician from Minnesota, right? Minnesota, the epicenter of centrists pretending that they're progressives. Um, And it just blows my mind. And then, of course, to know that she's like a really, really aggressive boss, essentially like the political equivalent of a small business tyrant, you know, throwing literal binders and stuff at people, uh, and just like generally treating everybody with disrespect, threatening their careers like that, that seems incredibly par for the course. She's she's just the um, it's like that managerial the, she, kind of element. Yeah, you know what I mean, exactly. She's the political equivalent of uh, of a Hardy's regional. executive, <laughs> Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, what do you think, though, about do you I, I mean, I kind of I know this is kind of more of a liberal critique that has been thrown out about, you know, she's being attacked and in the same way that Hillary was in the sense that, you know, people are like getting into this work, the way she's treating her staff whenever, you know, male politicians don't experience, you know, they wouldn't have like been, I mean, that wouldn't have been so much of a story for a male politician like that. You know what I mean? There's like the women are held in sort of a different light in that respect. Well, that's, um, that's one of those oddly salient things that only ever seems to be said when there is a political agenda to kind of sate for it, right? It's like how Murray Bookchin brought this up, how in the South, in the United States, the Confederacy, part of their argument for keeping slavery was that when you go to renting workers instead of owning them outright, you're not responsible for their care. You're not in any way going to be invested in them. And that is like... That would be a salient critique of labor under capitalism if they weren't using it as a defense of slavery, right? Like this argument that she's being held to a standard that's not appropriate because it wouldn't be held up to male politicians would be a salient critique if it wasn't for the fact that she is essentially an out-and-out abusive boss, right? It's only in service of defending her position as a small business tyrant. Uh, essentially, that this argument even comes out in the first place. So I feel like it's um, 
it's just another it, it's a very procedural very typically american or western thing where we're valuing this form this I, this form of idealism over the actual content of its ideas because i mean ultimately i i mean i do I, I don't know i think there is a point to this that that critique in a sense but my 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 spin on it is to me this is indicative of the way that workers are treated like across the board you know even you know apply this to the labor force in the US like i don't know if you've ever done something like retail or anything like that but i've definitely oh, yeah. done years and years of retail work and even like middle management people are so like, you know what I mean? It's like there's such a clear separation between like, quote unquote, management and, and the like, you know, just sort of general staff in terms of well, it's like attitude. Like middle and, like, management. Exactly. Yeah, well, it's, it's attitude. It is 100 percent. You get to middle management by showing upper management that you have an attitude of putting the company first and then yourself next and then prioritizing shitting on people below you after that and they look at that and they're like wow this person is so effective they're an incre especially if you're a man they're like this person is an effective boss they're a clear leader they don't send mixed signals and it's like yeah they're an abusive douchebag is basically what you're saying and that's what you value because i get it that's what's going to make you the most money and it's just i saw this this meme it was in spanish uh and it was this guy uh, slamming a card down on the table and the table said like a casual conversation and uh, the guy was labeled me of course yo and then the the card that he slams down and he's just like the problem is capitalism el problema is el capitalismo or whatever my Spanish is very poor <laughs> uh, but um, I, I, I had posted it as soon as I saw it in multiple threads because I'm like I'm sorry this is always me but Really, guys, if you really look at the, 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 the origins of the way the laborers are treated under our current system, if you, if you look historically at the examples, it's not hard to see that you can really trace all of this back to the capitalist, you know, owner of means of production relationship to the laborer uh, using the means of production for a set amount of time for a wage or whatever. And it just really sucks that even these supposedly, like, progressive liberal politicians even if they are just centrist dems are still like some of the most visible examples of this abusive relationship between people in different positions of power uh and that it's manifested this way in american politics and we shouldn't be surprised i guess in the age of trump uh but it, it still gets under my skin and and it it surprises me in in new and different ways every way every day <laughs> I thought this was a really good um, tweet that I read the other day, and I retwe retweeted this on my personal account um, from at Ranavane. <laughs> so she says, if you're not, and this is, of course, tongue-in-cheek, if you're not willing to put your physical body on the line when your boss needs to put out a cigarette or is bored or whatever, <laughs> can you even call yourself a staffer? How would you even know you worked for a good, strong person if they didn't abuse you? And I think that really just <laughs> underscores exactly what, you know what I mean, what the essence of what we just were discussing with Klobuchar. It really is that. It's like if you're not willing to uh, lick your boss's shoes clean, if you're not willing to get down and scrub the grout with a toothbrush, are you really a team player? You know, or are you really making this workplace something that's important to you? Because we're a family here, okay? And families don't ask each other for overtime, right? you know? <laughs> Oh, man. 
I think to me, for me, like this experience, having been in those environments, this is why, like, I'm an anarchist because this is just a micro example of how how hierarchy is just fucked and just ruins relations between people at at any level. And so I I don't know. That that was like my main thought going into or after hearing about this whole rigmarole with her uh, with her staff coming out anonymously after the fact. And saying that she's like yeah. one of the worst bosses. She's like, I think only second in the entire Senate in terms of turnover for her staff. Wow. Out of like, you know, a hundred senators. And the first is literally John McCain's corpse, which <laughs> just needs a new caretaker every few days. Right. But you have to, I mean, you're thinking this is, she's like, okay, we'll even be generous and say maybe she's uh, the fifth worst out of a hundred that puts right. her in the top 5% of shitty senators, which is already, like, a pretty shitty group of people. Yeah, you really have to work to stand out among shitty senators. It's like, there's a senator doing a more despicably thing, a more despicably shitty thing than the last, probably every five minutes. And so, for somebody to actually do, like, newsworthy shitty stuff that even gets picked up by liberal outlets, and they're like, huh, maybe this person has a problem. <laughs> right. uh, I think it really says something about the depth of the, the disingenuity of their character. And you're right, I mean, that's that's part of the part of the place I come from as an anarchist is that I've seen in my personal and in my work life so many people for one reason or another suddenly elevated to a position of prestige or power or authority or control over another person in one way or another influence what have you and sure I'm not gonna lie some people handle it graciously some people do a good job you got your benevolent dictators out there or whatever but you can absolutely trust that better than 80% of people are going to get a taste of having control of another human being and immediately just revert to bullying. At the very best, you're going to get bullying. You might get out-and-out abuse and hazing, and you might get shit thrown at you. You might be wrongfully terminated. And these people are in positions where they can call on their rich and powerful friends. They can call on their friends of friends. They can get connections they didn't otherwise have. If you're just a laborer, even if you're in politics, even if you work for a senator, that person has exponentially more ability to fuck your life up than you do theirs. Um, and, And that's why I think it's just... You know, not as a blanket statement, but just as a general inclination. Yeah, I want to eliminate structures that place one person in a position of superiority or authority over another person. And and I know people like to make fun of anarchists, like, oh, well, if I know more about cooking than you, is that a is that an unjustifiable hierarchy? Ha ha ha! Gaffaw gaffaw gaffaw! I'm like, literally, just tell me how much fucking butter you use in your recipe, my dude. It takes two <laughs> seconds to be a good human being to somebody else. So it's just why I, I, I feel like a lot of it breaks down under even very like passing scrutiny. And that's why it's like crazy to me that you can have somebody like the American media, like elite, the the media class, the journalist class or whatever, who can sit and vegetate and meditate and think about these things all day and still not come to the realization that every single person is just doing the same thing. Every single senator is basically just the manager of a McDonald's or a Subway franchisee or, you know, what have you. I think, uh, you know, this kind of makes me think of the, this is a maybe taking a materialist analysis of institutions. And this is like 
the fucking grooves are laid in in these institutions and it's like Mm -hmm. you can't really color outside of the lines just because the material forces you know what i mean there's only so much margin that you have to be a decent person and to participate in one of these institutions and ultimately they will take you and they will squeeze you through the fucking meat grinder of whatever of whatever authoritarian, whatever like the status quo is that they want to perpetuate or ultimately is going to, is going to be the ultimate outcome. No matter what, no matter how, let's say you come, do come in with good intentions, those pressures and those forces are just almost, you know, you just, they're so powerful and they're so under the surface that you can't really even lot, you know, think about it. It's, it's difficult to really even reject that and still be, and still participate yeah, that's exactly it. Participation causes you, or at least greatly encourages you and discourages opposition to, the kind of basic tenets of capitalist realism, right? It's like, um, uh, I think there's a great overlap between kind of the theory of Mark Fisher talking about capitalist realism perpetuating itself and making it seem like there's no other alternative, and a lot of the stuff that Bookchin talked about in his explosively good uh, lecture series, The Forms of Freedom, where he talks about how if you are inheriting the kind of forms from previous social organizations, uh, no matter what content you try and fit in those forms, it's only going to fit in them in the shape, in the general outline that those forms were originally built to hold, right? Like, even if I take um, uh, uh, the, the outline of whatever we think is like the most progressive form of capitalism, like Nordic-style social democracy or whatever, and I try and jam... Uh, anarcho-communist principles or vanguard Leninist principles or egoist communist principles inside of that, uh, they're going to become compromised. Their edges are going to become softened because they're going to have to change something about themselves to fit in this other form. And, And something... Fisher a little bit alluded to, and I think Bookchin really just said outright, is like you cannot have an evolution of content without an evolution of forms, and you cannot have an evolution of forms without an evolution of content, because one without the other is just kind of like this empty repetition of the same cycle. It's sim- it's just stagnation. You have to have both wheels moving, or you're just turning around in circles. Interesting. I just actually, I finished Capitalist Realism last week, but I think I had smoked too many mids. And couldn't quite <laughs> couldn't quite grasp or remember anything salient coming from it, so I'll have to do a reread. Well, Fisher is brilliant, but Fisher is also one of those guys who was just very, very all over the map in terms of the way that he wrote and I think the way that he thought about things. And in a lot of ways, I can really identify with that because oh, uh, I think that's part of what like helps you kind of see those little glitches in capitalism happening around you, and it, it dispels the illusion of of realism. It helps you like get away from suspending your disbelief and get back to your disbelief in what might be potentially, it helps you get back to meaningful criticism in that way. But, um, the thing about Bookchin is that he was very, very much the opposite. He was like such an eccentric old like model trains guy. He was very much thinking about what he was thinking about, what he was thinking about in this like long, very specific one thing leads to another dialectical process. Um, and that's maybe why he, he touched on it so much more explicitly. Because Fisher kind of reminds me of like um, – um, who's the guy who wrote Infinite Jest? Oh, that's uh, – uh, David Foster Wallace. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he kind of feels more intuitive in that vein. I think Bookchin's a little bit more 
literalistic. And that's why I like to draw back to Bookchin, even if he is a, a weird old kook who said a bunch of shit that didn't make any sense at all. Have you have you ever watched The Wire? Because I think ultimately this not I mean obviously it's not through the lens of anarcho communism or anything like that, but I think that's what the real sort of end ultimate thing that you should take away from The Wire is that if you can't if you don't change institutions, institutions will change you ultimately. Yeah. Well, I think there's a big overlap and this has been brought up by anarchists a lot of different times between the elements of a simple criminal organization and the elements of like an, uh, a revolutionary anarchist organization quite often look very similar because a lot of anarchist praxis, especially insurrectionary, uh, revolutionary anarchist praxis has been assassinations and bombs and disrupting markets and making it difficult for the bourgeois to get a hold of certain commodities that they've become accustomed to. It's a lot of very like, there's something that I like about anarchist theory and practice which is that there's a focus on immediacy there's um not that i don't have respect for your reading groups your electoral parties your vanguard parties what have you i do i just there's something that gets the common person riled up and starting to educate themselves when you're bringing food to their door you know when you are keeping the landlord from putting that eviction notice on their front door they're much more willing to listen to you than when you're coming at them from your armchair. And so The Wire is is such a great example because, one, it was bringing a, a situation that a lot of, especially white Americans, are not exposed to into their homes. Uh, it was an opportunity for them to see it from a perspective that's not theirs. And in a lot of ways, that's kind of the the type of thought that anarchists need to be using when they're trying to do outreach to people. Like, we need to recognize that these people are not anarchists. These people don't have class or hierarchical analysis in the same way that we do. And maybe kind of personalizing the story and, and, and like, telling it through personal narratives, developing character developments, the changes in the setting, uh, the power dynamics. I mean, I didn't watch The Wire front to back all the way through paying attention the whole time, but I've seen it a couple of times you know, watching HodgePodge, and it's like masterful. There's so much suspense. You get invested in these people, even if you don't identify with them out and out, um, because they really reduce the actions that everybody makes to their very, very human components. And it makes you able to relate with them, even if you're not that kind of person yourself. And, and I worry that anarchists and even just leftists in general are at a point in communicating with people right now where we're not making them see it the way we're seeing it. We're just yelling how we see it at them and they're like shying away from it. And we're like, why? And it should be obvious, you know, it should be obvious to us. But when you're passionate about something, it's hard to rein yourself in and remember the best way to communicate with people. And sometimes when you do, you end up coming off cheesy. You know, you don't want to be anarchist Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> so it's like you, you have to pick your battles. I definitely would say if you haven't watched season four in a while it really is a good example because it really gets into the like sort of getting like seeing behind the scenes how the sausage gets made in terms of uh mm -hmm. the carcetti carcetti becomes mayor and he's trying to like juggle all these different budget issues blah 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 gets a little bit into the minutia of that and just like these competing things that you have to do and ultimately like they wind up kind of because like i think he came in with this whole idea of like he's going to revolutionize the way that they 
do their crime. It wasn't going to be so like statistics based and blah, blah, blah. They were going to do meaningful arrests and work and like all that shit. But then ultimately all of that gets scrapped because there's like this other institutional Mm -hmm. um, thing that basically forces them back into the original fucking mindset that they it's the age-old tale of idealism and the people who hold lofty ideals coming face to face with the material reality uh that both made people act a certain way in the first place and develop procedures a certain way in the first place but also um the outcome of those procedures and those activities being organized that way is self-reinforcing right systems that are successful are typically successful because they create outcomes that give them new beginnings to once again, you know, comb whatever the content of that process is. So you have, you know, the electoral system is a great example of something that's very self-reinforcing. You have uh, the way that people, cartels and gangs, uh, control their power structures as being self-reinforcing and being very atomized is a good example of that. And it translates in a strikingly one-to-one way to the way that corporations and funds and banks and and all of these other organizations are structured. So in kind of the same way the wire breaks down people to their very human elements, I think it's also really cool how it's like it takes all of these institutions and it breaks them down to their individual institutional elements and it kind of examines them relative to the things that made them that way, but also the ways in which they maintain themselves, which is, uh, yeah, it's very illuminating. You, you got me thinking a lot now. I'm going to have to do yeah, a, dude, that's uh, a good, an anarchist rewatching of The Wire. <laughs> you're making me think, too, because it's a really great example of that. And not it's in so many facets because not only do you have that at the political level, because you have, like, embodied in Carcetti, uh, but you also have even someone like Stringer Bell. Like Stringer Bell was trying to reform mm-hmm. the street game and make it more like a business, and they had the commission and all of that shit. But then, like along comes Marlo Stanfield, and he like just basically wipes that shit out, and it regresses into mm-hmm. this just like more, you know, I don't know, just like nihilistic street violence sort of model that they had operated on. Um, whenever I guess what's his name, Avon Bell, was running the show. Um, so you have that, and then they get into the into journalism as well in the fifth season, and sort of the whole basically how you know there's pressure on all these newsrooms to generate a profit and sensationalism, and you know what bleeds leads and all that sort of thing. So you have mm-hmm. like the the beat cop element of it too, the street level, the political level, that level, even at the level of like the because they did a season as well where they focused on the educational system and the kids and the kids like that was maybe one of the most heartbreaking seasons you see these kids like basically get again shoved through that like meat grinder to just like they there was hope at one you know what i mean you see so much hope and potential in them but they still wind up forced through those same grooves that are just set in society for them it's really tragic well i think it's really interesting that they've separated out the educational system for like a season of analysis because the way that I look at it and I do think that this in a lot of ways aligns with being an anarchist is I see the educational system which is explicitly educational but also the system of 
you know, street gangs and transactions and the violence that comes with that, the system of the police and the arrests and the essentially gangs and violence that comes with that, and, and the, the political system in which you have to engage, these are all educational systems in themselves, right? These are all exerting an intellectual force on the public, and they're telling them, either through actions or through being portrayed on the news or, or through their outcomes or whatever, that this is the way that things work, and this is the way that things are going to be. Um, and what I, one of the illuminating things about The Wire is what a, what a huge impact one person can make, right? Like, as anarchists, it's easy to get to thinking that maybe your best bet is either to just lob bombs at politicians or go live in a cave somewhere. <laughs> like, you don't have much in between. But there is... There is a, a, a giant, genius, expanding brain, anarchist middle ground, an anarcho-centrism, if you will, <laughs> of oh, actually man. reaching out to other people and forming human relationships and showing them meaningfully why, you know, the way that you perceive the world and the way that you want to act and be related to the world is actually more useful and more valuable uh, than what you have before. And and you see that even, you know, even in the stories where the naive idealist loses their idealism and becomes subsumed by the machine. Very rarely do you not have an arc where they at least make some kind of nominal difference. And and I hate to be like this, but maybe, you know, m maybe the real treasure was the nominal differences <laughs> we made along the way, right? <laughs> this also has me thinking I'm like the most anarchist character would have to be Omar for sure. Just ripping and running oh, and robbing drug dealers on the streets. Like, that's fucking... He's like well, the Max Sterner of The Wire. He is. He's exactly... He's a, he's a <laughs> Sterner or a Machno. He knows who's his friend, and he knows who's not, and he knows who he can trust, and he knows... He recognizes that people have relationships with each other for reasons. There's not this intangible thing called, like, camaraderie or loyalty that just means something, you know, apropos of nothing. These are all social conventions that have origins and have meanings. And I feel like Omar is, is the character in The Wire who, you know, he's obviously the genius brain character. <laughs> he can see all of the interactions between all of the other characters. But that, as cheesy as that is in a lot of ways, that is something that you should strive for, the ability to see the forest for the trees, see all the particularities of all the different, not just see the forest for the trees, see the forest for the soil's nitrogen content, see the forest for the micro eco ecosystems of, you know, the bugs that live on this side of the forest might have some kind of ecological conflict with the bugs that live on that side of the forest. And, and that's the real, like, fucking, you know, unstoppable Zen master warrior uh, personality in general, isn't it? When you see these like super soldier types, they always have like uncanny intuition and an unusually wide base of knowledge. But they're not the people that we that we idolize. We we end up idolizing fucking the Walter Whites and, and the fucking uh, you know Joker from the Dark Knight. You get all these libertarian right guys who think that's like the hot shit to be. And and it's the reason that I don't really watch Rick and Morty. It's the reason I don't really watch BoJack Horseman. I'm not interested in these self-satisfied dudes who think they've all got it figured out and think their swagger is on lock. I want to see somebody in a precarious situation. I want to see somebody whose life is in a bunch of different kinds of danger. You know, I, I, I want there to be real tension. And Omar is like tension personified. He's like a red hot fucking P 
piece of character work in the middle of what is already a very compelling you know cast of characters a very compelling setting so that's that's what really makes the wire stand out to me and it's the reason that i've revisited it um at least once since the first time that i got exposed to it well we we got to look into the weeds a little bit with the wire but let's let's get back into into the, <laughs> into the real world um a little bit at least um because i kind of wanted to because we we're on klobuchar and like this sort of democratic centrism that she represents and um, I think as as compared to someone like Howard Schultz, or at least in the like oh. in his the whole context of his bullshit candidacy, and I had kind of focused on him a little bit in my last episode, but I did I think even after that episode, it came out that he had I forget it was the Washington Post I think that he had come out and said, you know, okay if if you Democrats if you don't want me to run, then nominate a centrist candidate. Yeah, what the fuck was that? You absolutely cannot try and hold the radical end of the Democratic Party, words that I never thought would ever <laughs> fucking escape my mouth, uh, hostage so that you can be like, you know what, if you guys don't run Hillary Clinton 2.0, I'm going to step in. And uh, I said this on my on my pod, Beep Beep Lettuce, but I really feel like Howard Schultz is trying to be the Obama of CEOs, right? Like the centrist liberal who is far enough left of center to get lauded as a progressive, but still so severely close to the center that he never actually makes any like real meaningful change. But he still wants to be like remembered as an icon. And I worked for Starbucks for a long time, six or seven years. And there's so much shit. When you work for Starbucks, you get Howard Schultz shoved down your throat every fucking day. (laughs) When his book came out, I had been working for the company for like a year and a half. Dude, I had no idea. That's so great. And they gave us each. It's wild. They gave us each a free copy of this book. They were like, oh, you can read it if you want. And and if you really like it, you can buy his other books at a discount. Uh, And and then I I can't even imagine what it's like to work for Starbucks now that he's running. I mean, he's not the CEO anymore. He's, He's like retired or whatever. But he's still the Santa Claus of yeah. Starbucks, right? He's he's the the, mascot. the, the Betty Crocker. Or the like yeah, the, the fucking Colonel exactly. Sanders of coffee. Yeah, Colonel Sanders is, is closer to correct. I was gonna say Tony the oh, there Tiger, you go. but I don't want to think about furry Howard Schultz right <laughs> now. So <laughs> Tony the Tiger, frankly, has got you know, he's a lot more fuckable, I think, than Howard Schultz. Tony the Tiger's ripped. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't kick him out of bed for eating cereal, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's fucking perfect, though, that you worked for Starbucks. But you, okay, so, but you were well gone by the time that they had, like, this was what, in the last year or year and a half that they they had yeah, the racist this incident like in the last and, little while. and they shut down all the stores for one day for race, racial sensitivity training, which again, like, and this that is, single day was the day that <laughs> I've never been more glad in my life to not have been working for Starbucks for a given 24 hours than the racial sensitivity training day because they had included, like, racial sensitivity stuff in their other training like periodically and it was always the most like ham-fisted like middle school lunchroom disclaimer level of like we do not discriminate based on race sex or class and if you encounter this kind of thing please don't feel afraid to speak up blah 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 it's like the most hand-wringing liberal fucking non-avenue for change that I've ever seen in my life. And working for Starbucks, I worked with a ton of black people, a ton of trans people, a ton of gay 
people of color, otherwise disenfranchised people, people who face all kinds of obstacles. And they did receive, you know, some nominal help from Starbucks that they would not have gotten uh, from other companies, particularly trans people do actually receive meaningful material help from Starbucks. But in a lot of ways, it's the, it's the same kind of thing Starbucks is doing on a lot of other fronts where, like... I always felt like I was being given my benefits and my health insurance and and my tips and my free coffee and the little bow on top kind of said please please don't form a fucking <laughs> right you know it was just like here's your health care you know you get to take a pound of coffee home every week you know your tips are not bad right please 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 don't form a union and actually make us own up to our fucking like social responsibilities and Howard Schultz is the most absolutely sickening presidential candidate I can think of, bar none, including the current president, <laughs> oh, because shit. he would literally just be Donald Trump's policies with Barack Obama's speeches. And, and not I even as good. I don't even think he'd dupe America hard. I don't even think he'd be as no. good at speaking as Obama. <laughs> no, because he's such a he's such an effet kind of like disingenuous uh, liberal old grandpa sitting in front of the campfire. Like at least Barack had like a veneer of getting people riled yeah. up, right? Like a, a revolutionary flavor was thrown in there. There was a hint of lime, <laughs> you know. But there's no fucking hint of lime with Howard Schultz. Howard Schultz is a is is a grande non fat latte with nothing <laughs> in it. Oh man. <laughs> uh, but I I mean. To me, though, the shutting the whole idea of shutting down the store one day, like all the stores for one day for racial sensitivity training, like again, this is gets back to the main kind of through line of everything we've discussed today is these there the like this idealist approach to change is not gonna fucking work. Like shutting down all your stores from one day, like yeah, that's like a fucking PR move materially that's it's not going to amount to a fucking thing other than you can like get a fucking press clipping that says oh look at this we did this fucking racial sensitivity training that's real that's going to end all of these issues throughout all of our stores and you know basically these people these employees are going to take this home and they're going to become good liberals now that's exactly right and it's just indicative of the way that like Howard Schultz is essentially a Rachel Maddow, MSNBC brand liberal, where he's like, if you just will positivity into the world, and if you just don't stoop to their level, kids, eventually everybody will realize that we can all just get along, and we don't have to go after any billionaires for their money, and we don't have to dismantle any kind of institutions to get real meaningful change. We just have to hold hands on the playground and sing Kumbaya, you know? It's not that big of a deal. And it's sickening to me, because it, it makes it difficult for people who want to pursue actual change on two fronts because it's not just being stifled in the way that like people think that they're getting what they want and people think that they're actually like reaching some kind of compromise with power but also they then turn around and vilify you for not appreciating the compromise with power they're like well you don't think daddy schultz is really trying to give us a bad deal here you don't think we would really just invade a middle eastern country for their oil do you you don't you don't think that this whole thing with maduro is really just us trying to go in and change the the global oil economy so that we can have more leverage in the Middle East and pursue more anti-communist and McCarthyist measures, is it? And people look at you like you have fucking three heads when you say shit like that. It blows my mind. And, and it hurts really, really deep because I'm trying to look out for my fellow human being. It's like I've been bringing up on the job a lot recently how we should have a union. 
And I'm not going to get into details about where I work, but uh, I work in a parking lot, and I work with parking attendants and valets pretty much explicitly right now. And if we had a union, my fucking booth would be fixed. I wouldn't have to work Saturdays. My my raise that I was promised when I was hired would have come through when it was supposed to come through and not, I don't know, some indeterminate point in the future, probably never. Uh, and it's just like nobody crystal. Let me gather my thoughts for a second. <laughs> Howard Schultz is literally mom from Futurama. Drops mom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a little bit salty that my moniker for him, Coffee Hitler, didn't really take off a little a little bit more. <laughs> and I don't know if you saw. He's I don't a, know if you saw this. He, he's he, the, uh, he's not exactly Coffee Hitler. I don't think. Maybe like a Coffee Goebbels or a Coffee Coffee Himmler. <laughs> Like a more mystic mysticist version. I uh, so what I did, I took, I like photoshopped, and I used this as the graphic for my last episode on the pod. Is I have a picture of him. I photo I photoshopped a Hitler mustache onto him, and then I put like the <laughs> script, like almost like the Leto Joker has the damage across his head. I put, oh, I yeah, put yeah. coffee Hitler across. Um, I was pretty. I was pretty <laughs> proud of this, but I, I barely got any any attention, and I'm I'm really fucking disappointed about that. Really? <laughs> oh man. Well, here, um, Starbucks. There's a thing at Starbucks uh, that used to be written on the inside of our aprons, uh, and it said like, um, oh god, I every apron. Here we go. I'm, I, give me a second. I gotta look. This I'm gonna up. do. There's I'm this. gonna do one. I I'm, had this idea at work the other day, so I want to do a Howard Schultz version of the Leto Joker, where he's got like PSL tattooed on him, and maybe like the fucking <laughs> whatever that mermaid logo or some shit. Yeah, the siren. Yeah. yeah. Oh God, I know all of the fucking tech. <laughs> I know all of the corporate terms for everything because I worked for this dickhead. Oh my God. I can't tell you when we used to get a setup for like a seasonal event like if the pumpkin spice latte was rolling out the instructional guide that came with the materials you were supposed to put up around the store was called the siren's oh eye and was it in german it really you just had to, like translate it puke in my shoes <laughs> <laughs> it does sound german doesn't it i mean it was probably in like four different languages yeah. because they're they're doing that very like liberal kind of like you know it's in chinese and it's in spanish and it's in french but fuck you if you don't speak those languages <laughs> um i just imagine like a manager shouting out like directions in german like on sein coffee like you know what i mean on sein coffee und get me a venti now but yeah i mean the fucking nerve of this guy to to just come out and sort of try to blackmail the already fucking centrist party, the Democrats, just really galls me. Mm-hmm. And I personally want to seriously kick Howard Schultz's ass. Like, fuck you, dude. Like, I just want to <laughs> beat the shit out of this guy. Personally, like, challenge him to yeah, a fucking really fist fight too. in the street or something. Just like, just give him one good punch, at least. He deserves a lot more than that. I want to push... Well, Here's my thing is like if his campaign really does warm up and like get serious, it's going to be a lot of videos of him sitting in front of a brick fireplace, right? Like I I just his, know this his in legs my heart across with the like the liberal leg cross very a little <laughs> bit too tight. <laughs> yeah, like obviously not comfortable but trying to appear like he's like the professorly he's the old man of turning a chair around right? 
backwards and sitting down in it like let's rap bud but it's like the grandfatherly like maybe he puts down a book at the beginning of the video oh didn't see you (laughs) (laughs) so one of my other catchphrases has been punch punch a billionaire (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah punch a fucking billionaire fuck nazis let's punch these fucking billionaires there's like 1200 of them just line them all (laughs) up and everyone gets one whack your best stuff. Yeah, right? There's o- there's only 355 million people in the United States. So how many billionaires are there? Like 100? If we divvy it up, people, the billionaires, we can all throw in one punch each and absolutely <laughs> beat every single billionaire within an inch of their lives. It would be no problem. And it would be really, really fun. Like, I could bring paper plates. You could bring a couple of two liters. <laughs> and if we got everybody to bring, like, a variety pack, like a little Cheetos, a little Fritos, a little Pringles, it would be a nice little get-together. I think we could get Middle America in on this if we just tempted him with macaroni salad. We, we do a Twitch, a live Twitch stream of the entire event, and uh, it's great. <laughs> oh my God! If if they, you know, the revolution will not be televised. But what he wasn't saying, what we didn't stick around long enough to hear, was the revolution will actually be streamed on Twitch, and it will receive a lot of donations. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. I guess that kind of segues us into the next topic I want to talk a little bit about is obviously Bernard Sanders announced his candidacy. You might have heard of him. He is a senator from the state of Vermont. He's old and he always asks questions about, do you know how much they're selling things for or charging for things? Uh, I think that's that's what he's most known for. Yeah, he's he's always... um bringing up CNN Newsacre short with the the price of a gallon of milk or the price of a block of cheese. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm really glad he announced his run. Um, I know this makes me unpopular among anarchists who have a very specific um, attitude towards electoral politics. But uh, my opinion is that I would rather try and fight for a revolution out from under a social democracy than from a fascist state. And we pretty much already live in a fascist state, so... I don't really see the harm in voting for Bernie Sanders. If you think voting for Bernie Sanders is somehow a step backwards, you're a fucking idiot, and uh, that's literally the entire content of what I have <laughs> to say to you. You, you. you have no place in a political discussion whatsoever. If you're part of the AIF, you know, if you're part of the informal organization of anarchists or federation of anarchists, and you're like planting bombs under prime minister's seats, and you're engaging in like long-term espionage against capitalist nations, then fine. If you don't want to vote for Bernie and you have the ability to, I'm not going to hold it against you. But if you're the -the run-of-the-mill, like, rando anarchist dude that I interact with on Facebook (laughs) or Twitter, and you're like, oh, well, I can't go down and vote for him because that would legitimize the fascist state that we live under. It's like, buddy, the fascist state's getting legitimized all the time, whether you contribute or not. Yeah, exactly. Like, does going to your job... Is that counter-revolutionary? Yeah, right? Exactly. Maybe. Are you fucking kidding me? But you have to do it to survive. I did I did get a little bit annoyed with that kind of attitude that I do see on Twitter about people talking about. And, you know, I don't even I don't necessarily know where all these people are coming from. If you're coming from outside the U.S., like, yeah, I'll give you a little bit more credit if you're coming from, like, the global south or something with that with that critique. But if you're, like, in the U.S. and you're <laughs> talking that shit, then, like, yeah, dude, if you're not fucking actively like building insurrectionary movements on a daily basis then you can fuck off with that like going to vote is not propping up the fucking imperialist american system like no no way like 
We live in the heart of the empire. Like, are you fucking if kidding me? you live me? in the fucking heart of the empire and, and you can't be bothered to form a radical or revolutionary movement that actually goes out and, like, liberates people, the very absolute yes, exactly. least, the very smallest, tiniest thing you can do is go cast a fucking ballot in nominal opposition to fascism. Exactly. And anybody who tells you that that's not worth doing is either totally duped or disingenuous and trying to stop you from sty- stymieing the, the spread of fascism. And Donald Trump, I know we all think that maybe the United States was bad, but it got so much worse when Donald Trump got elected. It absolutely fucking did not. Donald Trump is just the United States coming to a head. He is a symptom, not a cause, of the the very, very racist and and openly classist, openly sexist kind of institutions that we have in this country. And if you're not willing to tear them down, you can at least cast your shitty little reform piece of paper <laughs> right. into the slot or, or tap <laughs> the electronic screen or whatever they do in your state. Piss in the correct bucket yeah. if you live in Georgia. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, God damn it. I had a great point. Oh, no. I I know what I, I was going to say. Florida. <laughs> right. I missed an opportunity to dunk on Florida, and now the pod is ruined. <laughs> It was funny though, like a few weeks back, some people were tweeting this sentiment and I was like, what did I say? It was something like, some of you have never led a insurrectionary movement against the imperialist center and it shows because <laughs> I was so pissed at like, I mean, cause yes, I mean, I do. Yes. And, and like, yes, in this ideal sense, you're, you're right. But like in the real world sense, you're fucking wrong. Like go fucking vote yeah, for the least it's- evil candidate that you possibly can. And also be doing fucking grassroots movement building. Well, that's the worry, I guess. And it's a worry that I can kind of identify with on the left, which is that, like, if you go out and you cast your vote and you feel like Bernie Sanders, let's say Bernie Sanders wins and becomes the president, a lot of people are going to feel like they did everything that they could do and that they did their best and that they worked so, so, so hard to get this man elected. And that's the end of it, you know done with that uh the world is saved but um if you're an actual fucking leftist and you're even embroiled in the kind of conversations that these circles are having you know electoralism versus anti-electoralism you're clearly a revolutionary (laughs) right you have or you're adjacent to revolutionary politics and so you should have the the prescience the the space in your mind to be able to go out and vote for Bernie Sanders and not think that you've done your job if you're a revolutionary voting for Bernie Sanders is not a major item on your itinerary <laughs> but it absolutely is fucking on there and if it's not you're fucking up that's how i feel about it i'm sorry <laughs> if you don't think that's the case but like who's the next most progressive option that could realistically get elected president yeah fucking elizabeth, elizabeth warren, warren? I mean... And don't tell me to go out and vote for the fucking PSL. I'm not voting for the fucking PSL. I'm not voting for the fucking Green Party. And I'm certainly not voting for the fucking Libertarian Socialist Caucus of the Libertarian Party. You guys can shove it right up your dumb asses. In my Is there really even a, there's a, is there seriously a Libertarian yeah, Socialist a real Caucus? They started as a joke, right? And now following their social media presence, I cannot tell if they still think they're like a disruptive joke or if they really think they're going to change the libertarian party but in any case they've chosen the wrong place to plant their <laughs> yeah, ideas. Oh Jesus, how does that even work? <laughs> 
<laughs> I can't imagine a, a dumber idea. I really hope it is just like one dude from the DSA hosting a few social media accounts to yeah. make us all think this right. is a real thing. That's that got to be a that's joke, my yes. sincere hope. Um, but I don't think that's what's happening. I think there really are like anarcho bros who think that they can convert fedora tipping <laughs> milady so uh libertarians into like subcommandante marcos meme making libertarian socialists but it just ain't gonna happen buddy you don't you you don't cross that line libertarians are closer to fascists than they are to libertarian socialists it's yeah. just the fucking plain a. and honest truth obviously um I'm curious though. Would you would you like go so far as to like canvas for Bernie or anything like that, or is your are you just like because for me I feel like I don't think I will. My support is uh, you know what I mean. It's like um, maybe circumstantial is the best thing. I'm like I'm not fucking. Yeah. I don't have a. It's very yeah. con- my support for him is. I don't have a Bernie boner. If he wins, but you know like. <laughs> He is obviously... No, I have to admit, I was rocking a Havsy <laughs> for Bernie in 2012, okay? I, I got a little off my principled base there. Uh, but I I just support Bernie because he's the least shitty yeah. option, right? Like, if, if, if all of the presidential candidates are bowls of soup then Klobuchar is your your turd and vomit soup. Uh, Trump is your piss and shit and cum <laughs> soup. Uh, and then you have, you know, Elizabeth Warren is like your, your just piss soup. It's like, oh, just piss. That's really not that bad. And Bernie's like a bowl of actual chicken noodle soup. It just has like rubber bands and thumbtacks <laughs> in it. And you're like, oh, that's – I could actually eat – I could just sift out some of the bad shit and I could – you know, it's going to be terrible. It's going to be a shitty experience and I shouldn't have to pay for it. But I can at least not absolutely hate myself after I select that bowl of soup. That's where I'm at with Bernie Sanders. It's like I even would canvas for him because we're not even at socialism or barbarism right now. We're just we're not like even at, at fascism we're not even at or barbarism. we like levels of fucking socialism right now. <laughs> No, class consciousness in the United States is infantile. We're not even in a progressive Democrat level of fucking... Well, uh, that's the thing. We're in free fall, right? We're at the stage where, like, not even the institutions of, like, union Democrats or, like, like, people who are Democrats but might actually be in one or another way adjacent to left politics, their opinions don't mean anything anymore. They don't have any say in the political conversation. The Democrats are a center-right party uh, with their mask completely off. The Republicans are an out-and-out fascist party with their mask completely off. And anybody who thinks that they're going to be able to reform one of these institutions is just kidding themselves. Bernie is... And I hate to say this because I feel like I'm giving him far, far too much credit, but it's just relevant to our political climate. Bernie is uh, an unusually not shitty yeah. option for the Democrats to even even consider. Right? Yeah. Like I'm, I'm suspicious of the fact that he's even allowed to be an right. option. Does that really come from popular support, or is it all a psyop? <laughs> Who knows? But what I definitely know is that. In terms of his policy, which has been pretty much consistent, he's still going to be an imperialist. He's still going to drop bombs on poor brown people. He's still going to do all kinds of things that I hate, but he's going to do less of them than anybody else by a really significant margin, not just a small margin. It's not like one or two less drone strikes or like 
one or two more people who would otherwise be disenfranchised in the United States might not die in the streets or might get to go to college or whatever. It's like millions of people. And the effect of that is going to improve the lives of millions and potentially billions more people when one of the most influential countries in the world, the United States, takes like a baby step back from the brink of fascism. I cannot possibly in my mind imagine how that's yeah, a bad thing. exactly. So anybody who thinks that supporting Bernie is like furthering imperialism or furthering, you know, the oppressive stranglehold of the Democrats or whatever is right in some like there are kernels of truth to that. But the conclusion that that somehow still a worse option than all the other options is absolutely asinine and I, I i can't fathom how you could hold that in good faith yeah i totally agree and i think you know i, I don't want to underscore the point that I th- maybe i think the left and even democrats or what have you are too focused on this presidential shit anyways like like this is the race that determines all the fucking marbles like no let, let's say um, Bernie does win and becomes president. Then guess what? You don't think that every fucking the like opposition at every fucking state level that is controlled by fucking right wing conservatives is going to buck up and like fucking look at look at the Obamacare shit. Like half the states fucking sued the federal government over the over Obamacare they rejected like Medicaid money and all this bullshit so they will dig their heels in at like the state level I mean I'm in fucking Texas and our governor is trash and they will like do anything to who is your governor (laughs) right now Greg Abbott he is a he is a man (laughs) he is a man that is disabled and in a wheelchair and was I think somehow a tree fall fell on him causing this uh paralysis right um and so then when mr abbott gets into like has the ability or at some point he basically um was against the people being able to file the same type of lawsuits that he filed whoa really like it's just that bold and on its face there was some kind of in texas some kind of tort issue i don't know the particulars of it but yeah basically he after he got his he was like fuck you guys and closed this ability to perform this or uh, do this certain type of lawsuit wild yeah and they're fucking crazy too that's like um that's Trump. Another thing That's they did is just on the same level as even Trump. crazier. You probably you might have even heard about this because I. But it was in Texas. There was that lady. I think she was. She might have been a Muslim or something, and she didn't want. There was some type of uh, like you had to give your tacit approval to this Israel policy or some shit. Anyway, she came out against it. Yeah, something about yeah, BDS exactly. probably. And um, basically, she like they were going to force her to agree to sign like this support for Israel of some kind. And I don't remember the particulars. Wow. But uh, it, that's unreal. That's like a fucking feudal lord being like, well, if you want to pursue this quest, you have to sign an oath in blood pr- professing that you will not attack me or the holy kingdom of Israel. It's such a weird. <laughs> like, what? There's such a weird uh, overlap or like relationship between the state of Israel and like the fucking fascist Christians. It's like a weird. I don't know what it is. But my dad is. It's very, 
it's very shitty and it's very like insidious. There are so, so many like Christian conservative, like basically white nationalists, people who would have been members of the Nazi party if they had lived in Weimar, Germany, who absolutely fucking adore Israel. Uh, and there's two reasons for that. One, Israel protects the U.S.'s interests in the Middle East. They give us a foothold there. Between them, Turkey, and Saudi Arabia, we have the ability to control three of the largest, or exert influence over three of the largest markets in the Middle East, and that's very, very valuable for us because uh, a lot of the world's goods do move through the Middle East, especially oil. You know how much we love that shit. Uh, We literally put it right in our veins, (laughs) am I right? Um, But... uh, the other reason is because Israel is essentially a fascist ethnostate. And, <laughs> surprise, white supremacist fascists, evangelical Christians, what have you, they fucking love fascist ethnostates. Hell yeah, get that God into public schools. I love that. We'll put it right next to the mac and cheese and the mashed potatoes, and these white kids won't even know that they're, they're peers of color are being forcibly euthanized in camps. And and not to be uh, too much of an alarmist, but I don't think it's unrealistic to expect that the United States could head in that direction. Oh, for sure. We literally put Japanese people in internment camps during World War II. How fucking long ago was that? That's re- That's living memory. Yeah. And we're not willing to face that kind of reality. Blows my fucking mind. Definitely. So I actually have a little bit of insight into... You're definitely right that the Christian, the evangelical Christian by and large, does have a an attraction to fascism in the, like, style of... Even, like, the god that they envision is, like, this fucking fascist that will smite you mm-hmm. for being a homosexual. But they also have this viewpoint that it's like, my dad has this idea that, oh, if you, if you, do, something ba- if you do something bad to Israel, then God will, like, you're going to experience God's wrath. And that's why, that's why like not, uh, the Nazi German, Nazi Germany suffered so much uh, or whatever was because of the Holocaust. And God was angry with the German people and like, Oh, if, if you go against Israel, like, Oh, that's bad. Like if, if we go, if we don't support Israel, like God is going to smite us with what, with like, um, God will smite he's going to cause yeah, the God isn't exactly the same God that the Jewish people said exists, right? He's he's the Christian God who's more right. updated, but he supports legacy programs, right? So if you try and 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 do anything contrary to his old firmware, he's going <laughs> to release an update patch in the iOS that's going to send you straight to the devil's bedchambers. Yeah. And you know what God will do to us to punish us if we don't support Israel? What he'll really do is this. He's going to raise global temperatures by like two degrees centigrade and then we'll be fucked <laughs> you know what he's gonna do he's gonna put a plague down on the mids <laughs> oh, man. and then there won't be any heady mids no. for y'all to get doinked on no more no, nowhere in Egypt <laughs> could the fucking pharaoh find mids and it was a, a crisis the greatest crisis that ancient journeyed Egypt for 40 days and 40 nights and not a burning bush to be found <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh I I think we're naturally getting to the point where we're going to maybe transition to a more fun half of the podcast where we'll just we'll basically we will <laughs> we will live we will be shit posting with our mouths instead of our thumbs. But uh oh such a novel feeling <laughs> analog shit posting. This must be how radio commentators felt in right? the 70s. Uh, you know I had this thought though the other day and I was thinking that I have been shit posting my entire life. Um, that's been my personality all along and Twitter just gave it a name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
No, I feel exactly the same way. It was like before I even knew what shit posting was, I was like raising my hand in class and asking questions that would that were specifically designed to derail the teacher <laughs> into personal stories. You know what I mean? And I didn't have like a name for that. I was like my my adolescent mind I'm like I'm hacking life you know I'm 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 applying unconventional methods to things and trying to figure out how to how to get results people might not anticipate and then I grow up and the internet's like yeah you're just a fucking shit poster why don't you go fuck off chud and I'm like oh god damn it why does everything have to become so ordinary <laughs> after a while why we got to suck the magic out of things <laughs> did you did you ever have uh, the dare program when you were in school Oh God! I I have this extremely specific memory of being in sixth grade, uh, first year of middle school. They're really worried that we're going to interface with the high schoolers too much and maybe get addicted <laughs> to drugs or or look at a booby or whatever. Smoke one. And um, yeah, smoke a single marijuana, which you know is going to make you crash your car um, <laughs> that you don't have yet because you're in sixth grade. Uh, but anyway, this guy comes in. And I shit you not, he's completely bald. He's got a chin strap that is just like he took his whole beard and he just took a ruler and he held it up to the bottom of his lip and he shaved straight down from the ruler on either side and just left that one perfectly like rectangular line running down all the way down his chin and this is just a memory from middle school so this might not be accurate but all the way down into his chest where it merges with his chest hair and he came in and he was like i used to do cocaine and i started doing cocaine because my friend that i would smoke weed with sometimes told me that he had some cocaine and that was pretty much his whole story he was like if you do one thing that's illegal you'll do another thing that's illegal and i was like good to know jaywalking leads to uh hijacking planes and crashing them into towers never forget uh and so i really appreciate you coming through mr singer from soul coffin <laughs> but uh i really don't need your insights right now yeah that's a deep cut mike Doty reference very formative musician for me but uh I, I just don't need you to come in and tell me about how these police officers are actually my friend and uh i already know not to pet their dogs so thank you very much i have so my sixth grade dare story is that i was so basically i was shit posting trolling and dragging the dare officer essentially to to the point <laughs> to the point where they gave me corporal punishment because of it like i was so disruptive yes what? like they fucking broke out the paddle and i got i don't know maybe one or two fucking swats <laughs> For just That's like wild. for those of you listening at home who can't see my face right now, I look like an Easter Island head. I'm just in like complete fucking awe. What year was this? I, I don't. I don't want to make. I don't want to let our <laughs> audience know how old you are. But how old were you in sixth <laughs> Let's grade? See. Uh, okay, I was what twelve years old. So this was twenty four years ago. Uh, let's do the math. What is this? Twenty nineteen, right now. Yeah. So twenty. Yeah, yeah. So that was nineteen ninety. Uh, twenty four. Nineteen ninety five. Nineteen ninety six. This was like ninety five. Oh, I can't do math. That's wild. Ninety five. Got when I was in sixth grade, it was like, um, shit. Probably two thousand thirteen. Right. Damn, so I didn't realize I was that much punishment older. Then. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a <laughs> corporal, big difference. 
corporal punishment then meant that my like my my quote unquote cool science teacher, Mr. Gamond, picked up one of the kids in class and like dunked him into the Holy recycle shit. bin. What? I can't believe they broke out a paddle serious? for you. Were you in Texas? Yes. Yeah, no, no, they really did. That was like a tradition though. It was like an honor to get dunked into the recycle bin by Mr. Gamond. He was also like the teacher who led the the annual trip to Peru that you could like fundraise to go on and stuff. It was hokey bullshit. But um no, he really did. He he picked up a kid, Aaron Parak, <laughs> the one Jewish kid in school. Not worth mentioning, but I'll mention <laughs> it anyway. Uh, I went to a very small, very Protestant oh, yeah, so school. Did I. Um, and, he, and he dunked him right in the recycle bin. And at that moment, Aaron Parak became uh, king of school spirit, Saugatuck class of 2009. And then the year before we graduated, he left to go to a charter school uh, that Betsy uh. DeVos helped set up. So, you know. Good Way work, go. everybody. Really, just just praise all around on that one. I, I have two other great stories from the Texas educational system. Uh, both for uh, one. Okay, so one was from seventh grade. My my best friend since seventh grade. Um, so we both played junior high basketball, and we had a okay. practice over the Christmas holiday break, and it was like a kind of like a rural commuter commuter school. So. You know, like personally, like I was like 10, 10 miles from the actual school, but this friend of mine was even further. So we had a junior high boys basketball practice over the Christmas holidays once and my friend could not make it and they ended up giving him corporal punishment for not coming to a junior high. <laughs> yes, it's what? fucking nuts, right? For an absence because of distance? How far away did he live? Like a, the, all right. It was like a 20 off. mile maybe. I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in Michigan, where we have winter, which is a thing you might have heard of. Uh, we don't have And so here. sometimes it snows, and the school... Bu- <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it must be nice. Uh, no, I'm sure you have your own special hell to deal with. But the school buses just do not pick up people who live X amount yeah. of distance from the school center. We, we have school of choice and stuff, but if you want to go to the school, you got to get a ride. And if, if you can't make it for one reason or another, that's expected. Yeah. Like people just know that there are going to be environmental factors that keep you from getting to school, whether they're personal, whether they're actually environmental, whether they're social, whatever. They hit this kid because he couldn't make it to practice. Like a a junior high boy, like who the fuck gives a shit about it? Like an adult male thought, I'm going to punish this kid, this 13, 12 year old kid for not coming to a basketball practice by hitting them with a stick. Like, God damn, I'm an anarchist, okay? I'm an anarchist. But that guy gets the fucking gulag. (laughs) Yeah. That, whatever adult man thinks like, this kid was late to a practice or didn't show up or whatever. He had an absence. Uh, I'm going to hit him with my fucking hand. I'm going to flip my ring around so it leaves a nice mark on his cheek. Like, uh, that's really the kind of vindictive shit you get into. And and I have told people before, like, I think Mich- Michigan is basically just Texas with trees <laughs> um, and, and snow. And, and that attitude is very alive and well up there. And I'm sure across the United States in general, people really do still think it's okay to hit their kids. I was just at the bar recently and my buddy is the bartender down there it's why i go to that bar and he was telling me there was this lady and her daughter in recently and she was the lady was like trying to joke about with my friend the bartender like oh remember back in our day what our parents used to do to us if we talk funny to them and uh he was like you clearly mean hit your children right and 
that you know that's not okay. And this like lady was so taken aback that somebody would even like Question tongue it, right? in cheek call her on her bullshit. Yeah. And it blows my mind. It's like, no, you can't fucking hit your kids. It's literally child abuse. What the law says about it is irrelevant. Anybody who looks at it knows it's child abuse. Uh, it just blows my mind that that's something that's still like, we're still scrapping to save that, right? Like, I feel like it's probably just the people who are putting up flyers that say it, it's okay to be white <laughs> oh, and God. stuff like that. But there really is a contingency of the American population that's like, let's bring back corporal punishment. Let's bring back, you know, hitting our kids and being rude to to servers and people of color in public. And let's bring back, you know, and they stop short of saying slavery. But you know they'd bring back fucking slavery if they could. You know those fuckers would. Here's here's another good Texas huh. educational <laughs> system story for you. This uh, actually, so same friend, same guy. Uh, I can't remember okay. if it was seventh or eighth grade this time. We are in our junior high science class, and my friend is talking about how he believes in evolution, and the teacher got really pissed off and was like, "You might have come from a goddamn monkey." But I didn't come from... You might have come from a monkey. I didn't come from no goddamn monkey. <laughs> like, that was his fucking position on on oh evolution, man. That's wild. I mean, I went to a fairly... I grew up in, like, a weird little tourist towns that was, like, really friendly to gay people and had a couple other, like, liberal kind of things going on. So I was shielded <laughs> from the worst of the conservatism. And we had anti-evolution teachers at our school, but they weren't the fucking right. yeah, science Yeah, exactly. Teachers. You're the science. That's you're wild. the fucking science teacher. You don't believe in evolution. Like, oy vey. Like, ugh. Mikhail. Yeah, I mean, like, our, our biology teacher, Mr. Smith, famous for a lot of reasons, mostly playing Dave Matthews band over the classroom speakers before we all showed up. Uh, he would like teach evolution critically. And I thought he was a pussy for that yeah. shit. I thought that he was like weak tea for that stuff. And, and honestly, like I, I was sitting there in my liberal tiny little piece of land surrounded by ultra conservative West Michigan thinking like, Oh, you know, th this, I can't believe this guy, where am I? Am I way out in Hicksville? But it's just shocking to hear the realization of like how much worse it is for people in Texas. I mean, oh my God, you're the people who print our goddamn textbooks. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's fucking hell down here. Being any kind of even a Democrat in Texas is just uh, really, really a beating. Yeah, God help you if you're actually left of center in any meeting. And it's like way. we, it's worse because all of our politicians are. I mean, Ted, we have Ted Cruz. I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. That's that's all I gotta say. Oh, I don't even have Jesus. to go further. But um, that's the kind of person that wins an election here, in a statewide election. That's so sad. That's the saddest thing I've ever heard. You just told me <laughs> the saddest story that I've ever heard in my life, three different times, <laughs> topping yourself uh, over and over again continuously. God. But uh, let's let's talk a little bit about about shit posting. I, I was kind of curious to get your take on this because you had posted the other day. You recently got out of Facebook jail, and I think you had just gone into Facebook jail. Yep. Uh, the last time, so when we did the podcast on Magno, so I'm curious. Yeah, pretty much. It was like a month after that. I think I got put in 30 days Facebook containment. Um, so you had posted about you. I don't know something like you enjoy the or there's better engagement. I don't know. Some, something like, I forget what you had said, but I'm kind of curious to get your, um, kind of expound on that, on your opinion on posting. Well, okay. So I have, 
I have mixed feelings on the kind of like the Facebook versus Twitter thing in general, right? Obviously, I operate on both platforms I have for a while. For a long time, my Twitter was just kind of like perfunctory reposts from my Facebook. Like I literally just had it happen automatically, so I didn't have to think about it. And it left a lot of like shortened links and dumb shit like that, so I wasn't getting the full Twitter experience. But on my 30-day sojourn <laughs> out from the Facebook world, uh, when I when I embraced uh, Twitter and all numbers <laughs> of other social media organizations, most notably uh, LinkedIn oh and FetLife. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, it was it was all it, it was all deviant art and Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but you should really y'all can follow me on. Uh, DeviantArt. It's DeviantArt.com slash cummies underscore four underscore Bernie. Oh, nice. Uh, <laughs> and uh, no, Twitter is wild. It's like you can you can interact with people. You can get mentioned by celebrities and you can feel the the kind of like intense crack rush of a social media <laughs> for a couple of seconds. But there's, uh. there's a reason that I like Facebook better and it's because... People are on Facebook to interact with other human beings, right? Twitter, you're on there to do an aesthetic thing. I think it's a very aesthetic culture. I think that kind of like the origin of weird Twitter was so influential and like the, the signifiers of what's cool and what's not cool are so entrenched. Facebook is a little more, um, it's less unified, right? Like there's more little backwoods parts of Facebook you can get off onto that where you don't even know where you are anymore. It's dirt roads crossing <laughs> dirt roads out there. You might be in a in a RuneScape group torn apart on a debate over Alejandro Ocasio-Cortez, or you might be in a group that is explicitly about politics, but cannot stop splintering over whether or not, uh, you know, which side would land on the ground if you if you taped a cat to the a piece of buttered toast or whatever other dumb internet shit it is and then the way i'm expressing it maybe sounds a little stupid but i like that i like that infinite splintering of subcultural interest in like uh where else but facebook could a place like new urbanist memes for transit oriented <laughs> teens exist and and thrive and have an incredible number of thousands of members like i, I think that's an amazing thing and for as much as I did get invested in Twitter and try to improve my presence and be better about my Twitter personality, it's such a relief to be back on Facebook. I posted a – I saw a guy commenting in a thread about people who, quote-unquote, flip burgers for a living, saying they should oh, yeah, get a living wage. And I stumbled across his profile. It was the most incredible <laughs> portrait of an incel, right? Just like just like, like, um, like the most brilliant – illustrator of all time had just painted me a full portrait of incel culture in glowing color and i had to upload it and it got like i think right now it's yeah, at like it 600 shares it got picked up by a couple of major meme pages there's spin-offs from it i've had successful posts just from like posting the profiles of the chuds i'm arguing with in that <laughs> post as their own oh, new post great. it's like a honeypot where incels and weird lib right people and like fascists and whatever else there is out there cannot stop telling on themselves to me and letting me and all my commie and anarchist friends just roast the ever loving shit out of them. And it feels so good to be back. It just feels like I'm home. I just feel at home. I guess for me, the difference is I, the anonymity aspect of Twitter is what is so much more appealing than I sort of, 
I have like an oh, unspoken yeah. rule to not post political content on my Facebook just because it's fucking like pointless and <laughs> it's spoken it's, now. <laughs> right. It's kind of like but yeah, I mean most people don't even know that I have a podcast, even though I do have like a Facebook page for the pod. But um yeah, it's like right. I will anytime that I have been a fucking idiot and broken my rule to not post about um, political content on Facebook, it has come back to bite me, not with any, like, r- serious, real consequences, but, like, I'm just like, oh, fuck. Why did I even, like, right? why did I even fucking want to engage in this conversation? Um, for example, I had this guy that, I I mean, I actually respect this guy. Like, he's a pretty intelligent, open-minded guy. He had posted some shit about the border wall, and it was, like, a fucking turning point posted or video or some shit and i was just like oh god i was just like i was like dude please tell me you don't fucking buy into this shit and it went on and on and on for a while um but i was just like fuck i hate this (laughs) well you gotta watch out for that i think um what people don't realize about facebook is if you want to be somebody who gets their political commentary out there and other people listen to it and pay attention to it you cannot be self-serious you cannot be in like good faith you have to adopt a little bit of a performative attitude and facebook is its own special kind of theater it doesn't come with the same rules of twitter you can't just be a rando (laughs) jackass and get 100 million shares like you can but uh it, it operates a little bit differently the aesthetic signifiers are different and you're going to run through a different system of subcultures approving how cool your post is before you you reach the end and on twitter it's a little bit like everything up front right like you make it or you don't it's very binary in yeah. that fashion facebook is is just facebook feels like a series of catacombs <laughs> to me you never know what fucking subcultural front you're going to end up on you never know what what two groups there's going to suddenly be tension between for some reason right like it blows my mind and and you never know who you friended for one cool thing they did is going to say some shitty stuff on their wall the next day or or vice versa and you get that on twitter too but it doesn't feel as personal and and don't get me wrong i hate facebook i hate them as a corporation i hate most of the shit that they do but if i was going to form like an anarcho-communist social media website i would want it to have that that constantly diverging yeah. nature that facebook has because i think that's really really beautiful and i think that lets people feel like they're having a personal experience and not just a perfunctory kind of social okay. one i mean i think that's pretty valid criticism i mean i'm definitely one who is i mean i'm an esthete no doubt about it i'm all about those fucking aesthetics mm-hmm. but uh <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's just, it's signifiers are different. Like even, even my like quote unquote human connection is really just an aesthetic thing, right? Like it's, it's no more than my appreciation of signifiers coming from another place and their reinterpretation of the signifiers I give off. So, uh, I don't think it's unfair to have an attraction to that, like intensely boiled down aesthetology or whatever you want to call it of of twitter or even instagram has its own yeah. special flavor of that or or tumblr rest in peace <laughs> um but uh i mean twitter is anarchic yeah it's, it's uh, just wild I think to at me. its heart yeah in a lot of ways i think in a lot of ways uh, maybe it's a little um i think they lean a little towards the libertarian right definition of anarchic but i think there's something to be claimed yeah from i that. guess that's I, true. Left, there's a lot of leftists who do really well on twitter 
And that is one of the reasons that I do keep coming back to it because there's nowhere else that you can just see super posters displaying flexing, full yeah. power, you know, like, yeah, to, to who, where, where else could drill <laughs> have, have become such a fucking right. phenomenon, right? So maybe they need each other. Maybe, maybe the Twitter verse and the, the FB verse need each other. And when we expropriate them, eventually we should remember that. <laughs> so it's funny, like, I think maybe right around the time that we became mutual followers or somewhere right around there. I mean, my shit posting quotient yeah. or like had was like on definitely on an upswing. But now, like, <laughs> yeah, you you've been you you got the juice right now, buddy. You you got it, man. Now, don't let anybody tell you you don't pass the brick to to Coop because uh, he can he can hit over the dunk. last. Yeah, over the last. I don't know. Maybe it's been three weeks or so. Like my shit posting has definitely it's hit like that hockey stick in the distribution where <laughs> uh and i'm kind of addicted to it it's like it is like crack it is the rush of those likes um for those fresh those fresh cum jokes that i'm making which i think is you gotta make i really think it's funny jokes. like anytime i make anything any post that is not a, a cum post um very little attention but even the most even the most cursory <laughs> cum pun will garner at least a handful of likes and uh, i'm all right, well, let, I'll tell you what. I'm going to make a face called uh, Come Posting Memes for uh, – no, hold on. Let me back up. Uh, I post come tweets, uh, play a perfect circle to my succulents all day, <laughs> and uh, shit post on uh, the DSA oh subreddit. And I'm just literally going to screen cap your tweets, and we're going to – we're gonna have a ratio competition. Who can get more shares on what platform with the exact oh, I, same? I content. think that you're. I noticed I, that post that you're talking. I don't know. You've. I've seen a couple of your posts on Facebook that are get way more engagement than anything I've ever gotten on Twitter. The the most popular post on Twitter I've ever had was a dick joke, and it was whenever the new meme that's like the two little fingers, like basically the the international oh, yeah, yeah. symbol for small dick um so i you know some <laughs> some more renowned poster than myself uh had posted this and i simply replied um i'm just glad that my dick can now get the representation it deserves <laughs> which is not a bad tweet uh, on its face but it's way like i've had posts that are infinitely infinitely funnier and display my posting oh, yeah. ability of course, so much better but there's nothing like a reply guy sliding in there everybody I mean, loves a reply uh, guy you got to be the hot totally reply guilty guy. of being a reply guy totally <laughs> see that's the thing i i feel like that's what i like about facebook is like i I can't just go out and be a reply guy. Like on Twitter, I'm like, what snarky thing can I say to who to increase my cloud standing? <laughs> and on Facebook, it's like, what kind of new and dumb page can I can I start and then share among my other pages to get a bunch of traction and, and develop a new base? But it's also like I'm super biased because I've been, I've been doing weird Facebook for longer than I've been doing weird Twitter, which is weird because I think weird Twitter's been around longer than weird Facebook, yeah. but also I'm like kind of young. I'm like on the younger end of people near 30 who are shit posting right now. Um, so it's like, um, I don't know, it's wild. And people people think that like it's all young people who run the online conversation too. But 
most of like the big posters on Twitter and also Facebook that I know are in their 30s or in their 40s. Like people who just crank out really strong content all the time. Like not to just give you the age of a bunch of Facebook super posters, but the people who run like Cabbage Cat memes, that's an older person, Gangster Popeye, you know, not in the younger uh, age bracket. You got um, Pipes Buffet, that's a big Instagram and now Facebook account. That's a person who's you know, quite a bit older than myself. Um, so if you think the kids are out here uh, stealing your juice, you're just not trying hard enough. Right. The, the kids and, are uh, on like fucking... Keep on fucking... The kids composting. are on, uh, what is it, Snapchat and shit like that? They're not on Twitter yeah, as much. they don't give a fuck about Facebook Oh, yeah, anymore. Facebook is like, yeah. My little brother doesn't even have a Facebook. He's 10 Damn. years younger than me. He doesn't even have a Facebook right now. He just periodically deactivated. Did you see, though, too... I. So I also had created a uh, I created a parody account called Turning Point Carcosa. I don't know if you're following <laughs> this account. I love that one. Yeah, I give you a retweet every every once in a while on that one because it's some quality material. And I just go through like and just like the I'm. It's funny people were making fun of like the font I was using on some of these memes, and I'm like, man, I'm just fucking trying to. I'm cranking this shit out as fast as I can. It's like a fucking McDonald's here. <laughs> yeah. Like this is not the this is not artisanal. <laughs> Um, if you want that artisanal shit, you got to roll over to my personal, my personal account. Yeah. You want, you want thoughtful, like heartfelt content where I care about every little pixel <laughs> I put on here. No, I'm slapping together some shit. That's going to get some shares motherfucker. And if you don't like it, you can hop on over somewhere else. That's how I feel about it. That's why I run like 25 different Facebook. I'm at the point where I have enough Facebook pages that the pages manager <laughs> app won't let me make more. I have to log in with the regular Facebook app and go to the deep ass sub menu that lets me create a page and then open it in the pages manager to admin it. I have to say that, uh, let's see, I and I know I asked you to identify, well, maybe I shouldn't ask you to identify, but maybe we did talk about this, but one of your co-hosts is the mid-smoker. Oh yeah, the 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 argument yeah, winner. Argument winner. Uh, at argument I winner do, on Twitter. Yeah, that's Todd on I the do podcast. Enjoy his uh, posting ability is pretty good. He's like, when he got on Twitter, he he bitched to us in the podcast like admin chat so much that he was going to have to work on a new platform, and he didn't like this Twitter thing. He he basically threw like a long pity party for himself that he was joining Twitter, and now he is the most advanced Twitter poster among us. His posts are pretty are pretty good. I, I really, I enjoy a lot of them, but it's funny, like, I've been making friends, like, I have, now I have like a whole, like, I don't know, maybe five or six people that are like constantly engaging with my cum posts, and uh, there's one in particular, I don't know if you're, do you follow uh, Capitalism Disliker? Oh, Capitalism Disliker is probably my favorite account on Twitter right now. So solid. If you're not following Capital Disliker, you're, Capitalism Disliker, you're fucking up big time. Uh, I have to give him all, all credit to him for my for my inspiration in the composting <laughs> world because he's he definitely spurred it one day. And then I've just been on this crazy roller coaster ever since. <laughs> That's beautiful, and and that's where shit posting comes from. It takes a village to shit a post. But uh, so he he actually appeared on someone's pod the other day, and so I've been in talks. I'm in talks to get him on. We might do like oh, yeah. really well. Send send him our way as soon as you get him. Yeah, we want him for too. sure. I'll definitely. I can't tell you how often the beep beep hosts are just like, we'll we'll send capitalism disliker <laughs> tweets to each nice. other. Did you nice. see this one? Yeah, so we're, we're in talks. Hopefully, we'll get something rolling. Uh, pretty soon, maybe like a, a workshop on shit posting. 
That's rad. That's so <laughs> radical. Let me know if you get a a, a revolutionary anarchist shitposting right. workshop together. I'd be happy to be part of your shitposting co-op. It's, it's I don't <laughs> know. I, I'm I, honestly I'm really enjoyed uh, the engagement that I've had with like I don't know. There's him and like a couple other posters that uh, I'm engaging with a lot, and it's I don't know. It's really fun. I have a lot of fun with it. I mean, that's kind of like. Like I said, I've been posting my whole life, but Twitter just gave it a name. And so, you know what I mean? I was always that guy that had like the catchphrase or the nickname for someone that always sucked. Like that's, that's my yep. shit, man. That's like my, that's my milieu <laughs> is just these little quips. So it's the perfect, um, it's the perfect, what medium for me. Yeah, no, I, I feel it. I've always, it's like, um. It's like there's a part of me that was yearning to shit post before I ever knew the word. <laughs> but that's interesting. That's f- hilarious that you're I'm and I've been relentlessly po- I mean, god, some days I've probably posted like 50 or 60 times in a day. <laughs> I've definitely done that on Facebook. I don't think I've committed to that level of intensity it's so on Twitter easy. yet because I still click the darker blue icon yeah. when I need an outlet than the lighter blue icon <laughs> on my phone, but but uh, John, I I don't want to take up too much more of your time, um, unless you have maybe a, a topic or something that, you, or maybe a thought that you didn't get an opportunity to finish earlier. And then definitely want to also give you the oh, opportunity no. again to to plug the pod and and whatever else you've got going on. Oh yeah, here let me go into advertisement mode for a minute. Uh, I'm a co-host of Beep Beep Lettuce, a communist weed memes podcast that you can follow on SoundCloud. Uh, Patreon, Podbean, all kinds of places. Rate us on iTunes, whatever. I don't give a shit. Um, and you can also find I make footwork music under the name Luminaire. I don't know if y'all listen to footwork, but if you do, uh, it's some good stuff. Mine's more influenced by, by video game music than normal. You can find that at Luminaire, uh, P-G-H, that stands for Pittsburgh, uh, .bandcamp.com. And uh, you can also find me on Facebook. My name's John Paul Zygdrman. I like to roast incels, Nazis, and uh, furries. Well, John, uh, it was a lot of fun chatting again. We should, I honestly, are you down to like make this a regular thing? Like when we, you know, not like a big oh, commitment. Fuck. I'd be so thrilled to have me on. If you would have me on as a regular thing, I, I, I would, uh, I'd be over. I, I was thinking room. maybe like, I don't know, maybe on like a monthly every six weeks or something, something like that. Um, if that's something that you're down with, yeah. you, you know, I, I think that'd be fun. It's Mon- monthly school. You can call me. <laughs> it's hard for me sometimes to get guests, honestly. So it'd be nice to have like at least somebody that I can sort of rely on, um, to get some content out there. Yeah. Cause like, I always run into this shit where people will like cancel the day of, or like the day before. And then I'm like, fuck, well, it's too late to like wrangle somebody in at the last minute. Yep. Well, and I, you know, I can be a little flaky myself, nah, man, but I'll good. always eventually get through. But, uh, <laughs> thanks again for, uh, doing this and, uh, yeah. Uh, check out beep beep lettuce. It's a great podcast. Support the left. The left is best. And, uh, this is podcast with Cooper Cherry signing off. <laughs>